Genesis chapter 32, picking it up in verse 21. And so went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. This is the occasion, of course, when Jacob is preparing to meet Esau, his brother, whom he has um, defrauded out of his out of the blessing and the birthright. And so he has sent a present. That word is often translated, or I should say most frequently translated as offering. And so we saw how the embodiment or the, uh, all of the animals that are, went before him embody the offering of Christ himself. So Christ must be, go before us. So we talked about that last week. So that's the context. So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. Verse 22. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that, he prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask me after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. And this is the reading of God's word, and all his children say, Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your word to us, that we might appreciate all that thou hast done for us to secure a people unto thyself. For what thou hast done to Jacob, thou hast done unto us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, The title of this morning's sermon is Leaning on Christ. Leaning on Christ. And every Christian will get to that point in their life where they must lean on Christ for everything, not just the little things, but for everything. So as I go through this, there are multiple layers here. I'm only going to cover one layer this morning, and that is the simple narrative of what happened to Jacob and what Jacob represents in terms of what's happening in his life and what's happening in our life in the big picture context as the Lord works with us to draw us near to him. So with respect to the simple um, historical narrative about Jacob, we can appreciate that he's returning to the land of Canaan, to the house of his fathers. He has very large flocks with him, and he has acknowledged earlier that he started with nothing, and now he's coming home with a two um, large groups of animals. He has two very large herds that he has separated, and he has given a large number of animals sent before them to go um, be an offering unto his brother Jacob. There's 580 animals. If you count them all up in there, and you have to count the um, colts that belong to the um, camels. Most people don't count those, but there's 30 of them too. So there's 480 animals that he's giving away. It's a very large um, 
offering that's made to Esau and um, Jacob. Obviously, it's but a portion of what Jacob has. He started with nothing, and he's coming home with a very large blessing from God. Um, But one of the things we should appreciate with respect to Jacob is that he doesn't have a personal relationship from his perspective with God. He knows of God and about God, but he doesn't have a personal relationship with him. And so we can appreciate that that's true with all of us at some point in our lives. We um, knew about God, um, but we were not, we did not have a personal relationship with him. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19, the Lord lays that argument out. He says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, meaning everybody knows there is a God, and whatever they may say to you about you can't know, I'm agnostic, or um, whatever, there is no God, or I don't can't know if there's a God, it's a lie because God has showed it to them, and he has showed it to them through the creation. So God showed to you that he, in fact, existed by virtue of the creation. For the invisible things of him... That would be his eternal power, his Godhead, his sovereignty, his mighty, and that all men come before the judgment throne of God. That is known by virtue of what he's done. From the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So no man has an excuse to say that there is no God or he can't know there's a God because God has showed it to them. But the Lord helps us appreciate in John chapter 17, verse when he's speaking with his disciples and he's praying to the Lord, and he says that this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is rooted in and um, in a personal knowledge of God through Jesus Christ, because those two are one and the same. And so knowing God is only accomplished through Christ through what the Bible will refer to as the angel of God. And we'll see that as we get into the scripture here, that these are all one and the same. There's Christ, there's the angel of God, and there's God, and they're all one and the same. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus himself is the brightness of God's glory and the expressed image of his person. In him, in Christ Jesus, dwelt all the fullness of of the Godhead bodily. So when they were speaking with Christ, they were speaking with God. He is the um, visible revelation of the invisible God. Of himself, Christ says that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So John 17, 3 says you have to know who Christ is. You have to have a personal relationship with him. Only he can accomplish the redemption that is required to reconcile man to God. It all happens through Christ. Um, Of him, through him, and to him are all thanks. To him be glory uh, forever. Now, the reason I'm sharing with you uh, the attributes of who Christ is is because I want you to keep in mind who it is that is wrestling with Jacob. Of himself, or the Bible says, Um, which is written by God, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He spoke everything into existence, and he made everything out of nothing, ex nihilo. That's who Jacob is going to wrestle with. The worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things that which appear, or the things that were made, do not, uh, were not made of things which do appear. In other words, Everything he made out of nothing just spoke everything into existence. Now, he, Christ, is the active agent of God, 
and he covered the sins of Adam and Eve before he put them out of the garden. So he was very active in the lives of Adam and Eve, but I won't have you think for a moment that he's not active in your life. He's every bit as active today as he was back then. We simply read about all of the things that he did back then. So he was the one who covered the sins of Adam and Eve, and he's the one who put them out of the garden, and he destroyed all air-breathing animals, including humans, except for eight people that were saved um, through the Noahic flood. Recently in Genesis, and this would be known by Isaac, and it would be known by Abraham, and it would be known by um, Jacob, certainly by Abraham, he witnessed it, that God rained brimstone and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the coasts roundabout. Not just on Sodom, but that whole region of the plain, he rained brimstone and fire, and he killed everybody. However, he proactively saved four individuals from that city, but then Lot's wife, Uh, was turned to a pillar of salt because she left her heart in Sodom. Reminds me of that song, I left my heart in San Francisco. You do not want to leave your heart anywhere on this planet. You want your heart to be exclusively resting in Christ. You want him to be in you and you want to be in him. So this is who Jacob is going to be wrestling with. So don't think for yourself that this went 10 rounds because um, the angel that Jacob was wrestling with wasn't strong enough, you know, to pin Jacob. So God teaches us in anthropomorphic terms um, certain spiritual lessons that he wants us to uh, appreciate. So we're going to see here in this narrative that Jacob is now going to wrestle with God. And so if we turn to um, Hosea chapter 12, and we're going to read verses um, 3 through like 6 there, because this sets the framework and overlays and helps us to appreciate when the wrestling started and what the object of the wrestling is. And so we read in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3, he took his brother, speaking about Jacob here, he took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Now, how did he get that strength? Of course, it was gifted by God. So by a, so and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel. So let's appreciate that God here and the angel are the same individual. So the Lord is helping us to appreciate that and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, which means house of God, and there he spake with us. God spoke with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore, turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. So because of all of this wrestling uh, that took place, the Lord is helping us to appreciate that it began in the womb for Jacob, and the end result is that, therefore, turn thou to God. So this sets before us um, Jacob's struggle and who he is struggling with. Now, um, Again, verse 3 says it's God. Verse 4 says it's the angel. And if you look in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob is said to wrestle with a man. That's verse 24, but yet over in verse 30 it says it's God. So this anthropomorphic individual that he is wrestling with in verse 24, we should appreciate that. Two places in Scripture it describes that individual as God. Jacob is wrestling with God. It's described as an angel. So when you see the angel of the Lord appear throughout the Old Testament, you need to think to yourself it's a pre-incarnate Christ. So when does this wrestling match for Jacob begin? Well, verse 3 tells us that it's in the womb because that is when he is wrestling with his brother Jacob. And that's exactly what the Lord tells us in Genesis chapter 25, 
verse 22, when um, his mother is concerned, his mother Rebecca is concerned about what's going on with inside her, inside her. In verse 22, it says, And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If this be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Rebecca does what all Christians should do when they are having difficulties, is they should inquire of the Lord. So Rebecca inquires of the Lord, and she's going to get an answer to her um, inquiries. But we are. Uh, what I want us to appreciate is that it is Jacob who is wrestling within the womb. And that's when it began. It began at the point of conception. Jacob was loved of God from the foundation of the world. And that can be said of all of God's elect. They are loved from the foundation of the world. However, our scripture tells us that we are shapen in iniquity and in sin did our mother conceive us. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are carnally minded and we are at enmity with God. Romans 3 tells us that we are not righteous, we do not understand, we do not seek after God, and we do not do good. None of us do any good, and even when we get together, together we are become unprofitable. And so, as the elect of God, we are going to wrestle with God. All people wrestle with God. God does not let go of his elect. If you read Romans chapter 1, he talks about letting people go and letting them, uh, turning them over to themselves. Um, and that's a very bad thing when God lets a person go. I'm going to pull that up real quick because I want us to appreciate that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Wherefore, in other words, for all these reasons, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God gives them up. And then verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. And so they do things that they ought not to do. And so God gives us over to ourselves, which is the worst thing God can give you over to is yourself. But God is not going to give Jacob over to himself. God's not going to give Jacob over to the world. He's not going to give him over to Satan. He's not going to give him over to anything, nor does he give any of his elect over to anything as well. But he continues to hang on to them and keep them from falling into the abyss or from uh, driving themselves into the abyss. So... Um, so he draws people to themselves, and that is a process that is contrary to our own nature. It's contrary to our nature until he gets a hold of us and we surrender to him. So here you again, you have this tension between the responsibility of man and the uh, sovereignty of God. We think we're surrendering, but he's really forcing us into a position where we have to surrender to him. And so Jacob is going to do that very thing. Um, as we're involved in this struggle um, with God, um, we continue to do it until we can appreciate that we cannot in any way prevail by virtue of the strength of our flesh or prevail through worldly wisdom. Zechariah 4.6 summarizes that, and he says, where the Lord says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So as we go out and fight the issues of this world, we are not going to prevail against it absent the Spirit of God. Only He can give us wisdom to overcome the adversities that we find in this world. Only He can give us the strength to persevere as we go out into the world and deal with the issues of the world that um, are always against the saint. They're, uh, Satan, we know, is always, and the world is always in opposition to God and the things that are God's, and He's in opposition to us and in opposition to godly uh, wisdom. 
We can only prevail if Christ be with us, and we rely upon him to do so, and he will give us the spirit to do that. So neither you nor I nor Jacob will ever prevail against God. We'll never prevail against Satan. We will never prevail against the world or even against our own sin or against our neighbors or against the Esau's of the world um, unless the Lord be with it. It is only by prayer that a person can be said to have power with God or power with man. It is only through the power of prayer that we can exercise influence on our fellow man as we seek the will of God and his aid in whatever our issues or problems must uh, are. So we have to do what God tells us to do in Hosea chapter 12, verse 6, where it says, Turn thou to thy God. That's what the Lord says in Hosea 12, 6, when he's summarizing Jacob's life. Turn thou to thy God. And this is what Jacob does. So in Genesis chapter 32, um, verses 10 and 11, we see that he comes to the Lord in prayer. In verse 10 and 11, we read, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all that the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan and now become two bands. So Jacob has had a revelation by, by um, the grace of God, of course, of what a sinner he is. And he appreciates that God has shown him mercy every step of the way. So there's a beginning of an opening of his heart and an understanding about who he is and how he stands before God. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. He appreciates that Esau is sending 400 men against him, and he cannot prevail against him. And thou hast said, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Here, he's revealing, or I should say, he's bringing to um, his mind, for his benefit, the promises of God. So we know that the Lord says that we will always have the answer to our prayers if we pray according to his will. We see the Lord doing that in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will, but thy will be done. In First John chapter 4, I think it's around... Um, chapter 5, verse around 13 or 14, the Lord talks about that, that we have the positions that we desire of him if we pray according to his will. Well, God has revealed his will to Jacob um, back when he was in Bethel and told him what God, God told him what he was going to do. And so he's bringing the Lord's will back up to him. And so it's for his benefit. And sure enough, the Lord is indeed going to um, um, grant him grace and mercy in the eyes of his brother Esau. So he turns to um, his God, which he does not yet know yet. And he calls him the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac. So we should not be surprised that he's having a wrestling match here because he doesn't yet own that God for his own. He calls him the God of his father Abraham and the God of his father Isaac. So naturally, this wrestling, this occasion where he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord takes place at night. It's in the dark. He's been wrestling and grappling with God his whole life, and he doesn't understand and apprehend who he is and that it's really for his benefit. And so it is for all Christians that before God reveals himself to them is that we're, we're wrestling and we're grappling, and God is working with us, and he's shepherding us, and he's going before us, and he's going behind us, but we don't appreciate that. And so we find ourselves wrestling against him, and that's what the Lord essentially says to Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, when he says, why kickest thou against the pricks? You know, why are you kicking against the goad? I'm the shepherd and I've got a goad and I'm, I'm moving you and shepherding you in different ways and you don't appreciate that. Um, so uh, the Lord gives 
Paul, a revelation of himself as the Lord is going to do to Jacob here. So Jacob does not yet apprehend that for which he also is apprehended of God. That comes from Philippians 3.12. He doesn't apprehend that by which he is apprehended. He's, he's, he's grasping and he's groping and he doesn't understand that it is God that he is grappling with and it is the truths of Scripture and the promises of God that he's grappling with. However, but by the grace of God, he will apprehend and he will understand what's happening. Um, in uh, verse chapter 33, verse 20, he is going to make an altar to God that's called El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. So eventually he's going to apprehend the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and it's going to become the God of Jacob as well. But this takes a process by, for which um, Jacob has to struggle with, and it takes us to a long process as, as well. That is the normative life of a Christian to go through this um, process. So... Um, this process of revelation with respect to God's elect as we wrestle with God until such time as he reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 24 of Genesis chapter 32, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. In the Hebrew, it's in, it says, until the rise of the dawns. But we understand what that means. He's there until morning comes and the sun starts to rise. So when you take this interesting language and you apply it to other language in the Bible, we should appreciate what's happening to him on a spiritual level. In 2 Peter 1.20, it talks about the day star, the, it talks about the day dawning and the day star arising in our hearts. And so that's what is happening on a spiritual place is the day star, that's Christ, is arising in his heart. So just as it happens to Jacob there, so too it happens to all those that love the Lord is that the Lord gives them a revelation of who he is. And we know that in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it talks about God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so this is what's happening with respect to Jacob. He's acting this, uh, um, this scene out so that would, we would appreciate the allegorical spiritual truths that are set before us, that he's wrestling with God, and the sun is coming up. The Lord, we know, is the sun of righteousness. He's also the bright and morning star. So it is by revelation, it is Christ revealing himself to Jacob, that he's beginning to understand and appreciate all of these things that are set before him. This is life eternal, that you might know God and Jesus Christ, whom God has sent. So Jesus Christ is the bright and morning star whom God has sent and who is down there wrestling with Jacob. We should appreciate that it wasn't Jacob who was hunting around to wrestle with God, but the other way around. It was God who came to him to wrestle with him. So as this narrative opens in verse 22 and 23, I'm going to read that. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. So we should appreciate that he's at Jabbok, and Jabbok means he will empty out, and Jacob is alone at night, and he's pouring his heart to God. God is emptying him out of himself. He is pouring out his heart to God. In verse 10, we saw that he, his sins have been revealed to him, and God's mercy has been revealed to him. And now he is at what is a narrow place, 
and um, God is there before him, and he is facing great peril. He's facing the peril of his brother and whatever um, peril might assault him from the nomadic people that live in that area. In Hosea chapter 4, excuse me, Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it tells us that he wept and made supplication. So we're getting some more information from Hosea than is here. He wept and made supplication, seeking God's mercy. And so in answer to his prayer, God comes to Jacob in the darkest moment of his life and lets Jacob know that he is indeed with him as he said he was. Christ had told him, or the Lord had told him back when he saw Jacob's ladder, that he would be with him. And so God has ever been with him every step of the way as he has been with every one of his elect from the moment of conception onward. God has ever been with us, shepherding us on the way, even though we don't know it. And so we appreciate, as those whom the Lord has revealed himself to, illuminated himself in our hearts, that we can look back on our lives and go, Oh, yes, I remember when I went down that road and the Lord stopped me and directed me down some other path. I didn't know it was him, but he put people in my lives, put events in my lives to turn the direction that I was in. So God has ever been with Jacob every step of the way, that God is not some ethereal idea which stood up in heaven above a ladder upon which the angels of the Lord ascended and descended, nor is he a nebulous being whose angelic host floats about you know, uh, uh, in the clouds like he saw over there in verse 1 of Genesis 32. That Christ, that God, is he that which might be seen and handled. And that's what the uh, um, disciples said in First John 1, chapter 1, that that which we have seen, that which we have handled of the word of truth. He's a real corporeal being who can be seen and handled, and he walked amongst the disciples for three and a half years. And after his resurrection, he said, hey, come touch me. I am a real corporal being in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he is that which might be seen and handled, which indeed is what Jacob does. Jacob spends a whole night there uh, handling uh, and touching and wrestling with God. God is very real, and he is a very present help in trouble. The scriptures tell us that, and we should appreciate that, and we should avail him of help. Um, God has had no more or no less interest in Jacob than he has in each and every one of us individually. Jacob's wrestling alone. Every person in here will alone wrestle with God as they go through the trials of life. And God is with us, and he loves each person here the same as he loved Jacob because Christ died for Jacob's sins just the way he died for yours and he died for mine and died for all of his elect and all those um, who love him. He has a personal and individual relationship with each person, um, each one of his elect, each of those who loved him, who love him, just as he does with Jacob. So I, I don't mean to belabor this point, but as we read through Scripture and we see a person like Jacob's life set before us with all of his trials, troubles, and tribulations, and God is with him, we should know that he's been with us the whole time and will continue to be with us. He loves each of us, and I don't care if there's... I don't know how many there are, six and a half to eight billion people on this planet. With his elect, he has a personal indwelling relationship. Um, every one of us, as I said, are going to wrestle with God in the dark until God reveals us, reveals himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And we will prevail just like Jacob did. 
Jacob prevailed against Isaac, securing the birthright and the blessing from Isaac because God ordained it as such. He prevailed against Laban and through a series of all sorts of interesting um, changes in his wages, he walks out with two great bands of flocks. He prevails with God here in this section, and the Lord says us that. That's in verse 28 and has prevailed. And he's going to prevail against Esau because when Esau comes to him, rather than putting his foot on his neck, rather than Esau putting his foot on Jacob's neck, um, Esau is going to weep on Jacob's neck. So Jacob is going to prevail just like every one of us will prevail with God. And another thing I want us to appreciate, which we've talked about in the past, is God attributes the success of prevailing to Jacob. He attributes that to him, and yet God is the one who gave him the grace and the mercy to achieve the victory. Just as the Lord deems us righteous, as though the righteousness was our own, but the righteousness we have was gifted to us, and yet he calls it um, as though it is our own. You'll read in the Gospels where the Lord uh, is speaking with an individual who requests something of the Lord, like the Lord would heal him, and the Lord says to them, thy faith hath made thee whole. Like, your faith is the reason that you were healed. Well, where did the faith come from? It came from God. And so what he gives to us, we take ownership of, and he attributes ownership to us. And so here we have in Scripture, the Lord is saying to Jacob, you have prevailed. How does one wrestle against the individual who spoke everything into existence and could obliterate everything and who's going to dissolve, burn and dissolve everything up? How does, how does one <laughs> prevail against God? Well, you only prevail against God as long as he hang, hangs on to you and gives you the strength to prevail. And so, just as we read in 1 Peter 1.5, it, it, where it talks about we are kept by the power of God. We are kept by the power of God and we prevail by virtue of the grace and the mercy and the faith that he imputes to us and gives us the strength to do so. <laughs> and I'm very thankful he does that. So Jacob hangs on, or I should say God hangs on to Jacob. And uh, when the match ends, uh, not because God can't pin Jacob, but because God touches the thigh of Jacob and touches the hollow of his thigh. And then what happens then? Jacob is forced to lean on God. Jacob can't, can't walk properly anymore. He's going to be limping the rest of his life. In Proverbs 3, verse 5, we read, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Jacob can't lean on his own understanding. He has to lean on God. Literally, the Lord teaching us the spiritual uh, truth of what's set before us here. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. And so that we don't appreciate that this is an isolation here, something that would just be owned by Jacob, the Lord tells us that this is the kind of person that the Lord works with. This is the kind of person that the Lord um, has come to redeem and save. In Micah chapter 4, um, verse 6 and 7, we read, And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver from us, Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and when he treadeth within our borders. All right, that's Micah 5. Now let's go read Micah chapter 4. I marked the wrong place. Micah 4, 6 and 7. Here it is. 
Okay, I'm sorry, Micah 4, 6, and 7. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion, and henceforth even forever. He's speaking about the weak person, the infirm person, the one that halts, and that is exactly what he has done to Jacob. He has touched him on his, on the, his thigh, and the hollow of his thigh, and now he halts. And that strong nation that's far off, that's speaking of the church. And notice it's using the term her there, the feminine term, which refers to the bride of Christ. So that's the individual that the Lord saves. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 19, we read something very similar. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halteth, and gathereth her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they have been put to shame. So the Lord is going to goes out into the world through the preaching of the gospel and gathers in all the people that, that, are, um, that halteth. So the Lord, again, is teaching us this allegorical truth when he touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh and forces Jacob to lean upon him. Jacob is not going to be able to outrun Esau. You recall the descriptions of the two individuals that Jacob is described as a shepherd, where um, Esau is described as a, a man of the field, uh, a strong individual, an individual that is going to be warlike, which indeed he does and is as time goes on here. So God is going to take the warlike hunter brother and turn his heart so that he um, loves and weeps upon his, his brother. Jacob has no place to turn, nothing to do, except turn to God and seek his um, counsel and his wisdom and his mercy. In Philippians, we can appreciate that this is where a mature Christian gets. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul is speaking in general terms, but he says, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to talk about there, about why it's foolishness to trust in the flesh. But he says, we are among a people who have no confidence in the flesh. And so it should be for all saints, all Christians that have wrestled with God and walked with God any length of time, is you should appreciate that there's nothing that you can do in the flesh. That it all comes from God and we need to prevail upon him. And so, again, we read about how a Christian should behave themselves in Galatians chapter 2, um, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loveth me and gaveth himself for me. And so we as Christians, as we go out into the world and face things, we should understand and appreciate there's nothing that we can accomplish of ourselves. We have to lean on the Lord. It's the Lord who has to open doors and close doors and move the enemies out of the way. It is the Lord who has to um, watch over our families. It is the Lord who is sovereign and in control over all things. And so as our narrative continues down here, we see that Jacob is said to be a prince with God. That's verse 28. So he renames him, he, tames, he names, uh, renames him from he who taketh by the heel to Israel, which means as a prince, with, a prince with God. And so as a prince, Jacob has power with God and with men. And I want us to appreciate that that applies to you and me, to every saint. 
We are a prince with God. What is a prince? That is the Son of God. And so the Lord, in many places in Scriptures, refers to us as sons and daughters of, of Christ, sons and daughters of God. We are by adoption, sons of God. Now, if you are a son or a prince with the king, you have ready access to the throne of the king. You can come in anytime and you can talk to your father about what things you'd like to um, have him look into, how you might like help in any particular area. And so in that manner, we know we read about that in Hebrews, how we are uh, told to come boldly before the throne of grace where we might find help and grace, uh, grace to help us in time of need. And so we, as a prince with God, are told to come uh, before God. And so we have power with God, meaning that we can approach the throne of grace, we can put our requests before him, we can ask him for things, and we can ask him to turn the hearts of other people. As the uh, rivers of water... The Lord turns the hearts of men. And so in that context, we have power with men. So let us behave ourselves as though we are a prince with God. Let us uh, routinely go before the throne of grace and let our petitions and requests be, named, be made known unto him. So throughout the course of Jacob's life here, we have seen so far, and I'm going to reach forward just a little bit in his life and kind of sum this up. In the 20 years that Jacob has had a beginning of a spiritual awakening. It's taken a long time for him. He's walked in darkness a very long time, but it's 20 years prior to this is when he goes to Laban's house, and it's 20 years prior to this is when he has this heavenly vision of the Lord standing in heaven at the top of uh, the stairs upon which the angels are descending and descending. That's at Bethel. That's at the house of God. From there, he names another place, Mahanaim, which is the host of God, to Peniel, meaning face of God. And if you'll notice, there's a slight change in the wording there. In verse 31, it says he passed over Penuel. That's a different word. That means turn ye to God. So Jacob has had all of these revelations going from house of God, host of God, face of God, to turn ye to God. And so Jacob now has turned to God, as it said in um, um, Hosea, that that's what we should do. So Jacob has now come to turn ye to God. And from this point onward in his life, we're going to see a very different relationship that Jacob has with God. And so we should each reach a point in our life that our relationship with the Lord uh, has matured where he has revealed himself unto us. We appreciate the personal relationship uh, that we have with him and that he loves us individually and personally and has sent his son to die for us and so that we can approach his throne of grace at any time and appeal to him and know that he will always do whatever is best for us and that he could not manifest his love in any way greater than that he has done when he sent his son who died for us. And with that, I will say, Amen. amen. amen.